Hello, welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner, and today I'm continuing my series of episodes on the classes by delving into the Paladin. Now, Paladin is a class that has a little bit of a reputation for being disruptive, and not in the same way that a bard is disruptive. Paladins um, have a... Their archetype is called the Sacred Oath, and every Sacred Oath in the... uh, official books at least has tenets and tenets are things that dictate how a paladin has to behave and the kind of things that they the ideals they uphold their goals and some people look at the paladin and they think about how uh, back in early editions of the game when paladin first was introduced if a paladin broke their oath they lost all their powers and um, it even talks about that in the text, about having, if a paladin breaks their oath, what should you do as a DM? And one of the options is, make them choose a new class. Personally, I wouldn't jump to that. I would just be like, hey, when you break your oath, I would weaken their powers or remove some of them, and that becomes an excellent opportunity for a side quest. <laughs> um, a nice quest for your party to help their paladin uh, reaffirm their vows and get their powers back. Uh, the vows of each of the different oaths we'll talk about as we go through them and talk about their mechanical aspects, the features and such. But to me, when I think about Paladin and I think about the sacred oaths that they have, I look at it as a phenomenal tool for both new players and more experienced players. So let's say you're a dungeon master, you're getting your game together, and you have a player at your in your group who is not very experienced or is experienced but is not experienced with really role-playing. And they're like, hey, I don't feel like I'm a very strong role-player, and I really want to work on that aspect of the game and try to get better at it. I would recommend to that player, play a paladin. Especially if you have an experienced player that's a little more mechanically minded, you can be like, look, look at your tenets of your oath as mechanics. They're things you have to do, and that might help them translate their mechanical mindedness into more of a role play mindedness. Um, Whereas if you have somebody who's strictly a new player and isn't experienced with role-playing games, then having the tenets is like, here, look, this gives you a guide. It gives you a guide for an outline for how your character is going to behave, the kind of things that they're going to hold in high esteem, the things they're going to, how they're going to react to situations, how they're going to interact with NPCs and the other players. It gives you the framework for that. And that can help somebody who's inexperienced with role-playing in general, a way to kind of structure in their head how it works before giving them, before they take free reign in creating their own character. For a more experienced player who's looking for a challenge from role-play, the Paladin also, through its oaths and through the tenets, gives you another phenomenal opportunity to really challenge a role-player by saying, like, look, if you're going to choose the Oath of Devotion, think about the tenets, and then give your character flaws that put them at odds with them. So then your character, that in the, this puts it in the player's hands, and it gives your, your player an opportunity to create a character who has to f- struggle with their internal demons to upkeep their oath and to stay true to the things that they believe in when their own weaknesses kind of push them away from it. Alternatively, to put the the act of 
the strain of the tenants in the hands of the dungeon master is to, as a dungeon master, when you have someone in your party, it's like, oh, I want to play a Oath of the Ancients Paladin. Kind of look at the kinds of things an Oath of the Ancients Paladin would value and the kind of things that they have to do and then tempt them to break it. You know, offer your paladins power in exchange for breaking their oaths and then you can really put your players in a in a rough spot especially if you are mindful of the paladin's sacred oaths and will punish them for breaking it it's kind of mean but it creates a phenomenal role-playing opportunity for that player that they might not like you for it but they will thank you for it later on <laughs> so paladin paladin stands from a mechanical aspect, Paladin stands alongside Fighter and Barbarian as really like a tank class. Um, they're kind of like a cleric in that they get uh, spells, they can use heavy armor, they're proficient with shields, they have channel divinity. <laughs> Paladins actually have channel divinity, but um, that's something that I kind of look at as oath-related rather than god-related. When you talk about the Paladin, it's like, hey, you know, they they take their oath through a religious organization or a, or a temple, but it doesn't have to be. It could be an order of knights or um, a band of crusaders. It doesn't have to be specifically... Well, crusaders are kind of inherently religion-oriented, but it doesn't have to be. If you don't want to play a religious zealot paladin, then kind of you can reflavor the... Uh, channel divinity into just a power you get from your oath and i kind of got off topic there i was talking about tanks <laughs> but um paladin gets a d10 hit die so along with fighter and ranger i think those are the only three that get that hit dice um but they have you know they have fighting style like a fighter they have proficiency with a lot of different weapons and armors like a fighter um their spells only go up to 5th level. They don't get 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth level spell slots. They only get up to 5th. Because spellcasting for a paladin is just something they can do. It's not so much a defining part of the class. It's something that they have the ability to do, and that does matter for the paladin. But it's not the be-all, end-all of playing a paladin. Most of the time as a paladin... I think you're going to be expending your spell slots to smite rather than to um, specifically cast spells. You might, it's not, but you're not going to be like a a warlock or a wizard where spell casting is your primary source of doing anything. Most of the time, you're going to be doing martial stuff rather than spell casting. But um, yeah, they get proficiency with simple weapons, martial weapons, no tool proficiencies all armor and shields they get wisdom and charisma their skills they can choose from athletics insight intimidation medicine persuasion and religion so you kind of have that mixture of the martial stuff and then the more uh holy warrior stuff uh, so let's talk about the features of the paladin uh first off you have the divine sense which lets you um Learn the location of celestial, fiend, and undead that are near you. Uh, you know the type, but not exactly its identity. Um, and you can use it 
a number of times you include your charisma modifier. Charisma being your uh, spellcasting ability. Uh, you get Lay on Hands, which lets you restore a total number of hit points equal to your Paladin level times 5. And you can um, also spend five, hit, 5 of those hit points to cure disease and poison. So that's kind of like the Paladin just has a healing ability. And I would argue that you can use it on yourself, but mostly you're going to be mostly you're using it on yourself. But you, <laughs> the idea is that you use it on your allies. Uh, at second level, you get a fighting style. They have less options than the fighter. You have defense, dueling, great weapon fighting, and protection. Um, fighter has quite a bit more, and some fighters can pick two, but Paladin just gets one. You get the ability to cast spells at second level. Uh, they don't have any cantrips, so you only have spell slots. Um, the main reason you get spellcasting at level two is for Divine Smite. You can add... Uh, you can expend your spell, your spell slots to deal radiant damage in addition to the weapon's damage. And it is 2d8 for a first level spell slot, adding a d8 for each spell slot level level higher, maxing out at 5d8. So, the way I read that is you max out at 5d8, not you max out at 7d8. So, Really, second level is 3d8, four, third level is 4d8, fifth, second, third, fourth level is 5d8. So that's the way I understand it. So you wouldn't be able to expend a fifth level spell slot to deal 6d8. Um, that's just the way I, I interpret it to be. Because that makes sense. Because if it was uh, 5d8 in addition to the two... You couldn't get to it because for second level, you'd add one, third level, add two, fourth level, add three, fifth level, add four. You'd never get to that 5d8 because they don't have six level spell slots. Unless you're multiclassing. But um, at third level, you become immune to disease and you get your oath. And you also get oath spells and channel divinity when you pick your oath. Now, their channel divinity is one time per long rest or short rest so and they never increase it you never get more channel divinities like a cleric does uh they get an extra attack at fifth level but they only get one so they max out at two attacks not like fighter who i think gets up to four and then barbarian gets up to three um but that's because they can do more fighters just fight things barbarians fight things and rage paladins have smite they have spells they have uh, regular fighting, they can do a lot more. They're also super powerful. <laughs> At 6th level, you get an aura, and your aura does multiple things. Um, as you gain levels, you get aura features from your uh, oath, and this is just like a constant permanent ability that affects creatures within 10 feet of you, and at 18th level, it affects creatures within 30 feet of you. So all paladins, their aura makes it so that you and cr friendly creatures within 10 feet of you can't be frightened while you are conscious. So basically, as of 18th level, you and your allies, as long as they stay within 30 feet, can't be frightened. Um, at 11th level, you get a improvement to your divine strike. 
and it increases you get 1d8 radiant all the time and it increases your divine smite by an additional 1d8 so it doesn't actually make it more it's just like so my weapon is x damage plus 1d8 radiant and if i use divine smite it's up to it's two more d8 radiant so that's just a lot of damage uh 14th level you can use your action to end a spell on yourself or on a willing creature so you can just cleanse negative spell effects from people and that's all you get from just from just paladin then you get into the oaths so the first oath in the player's handbook the player's handbook has three you have uh oath of devotion oath of the ancients and oath of vengeance and then the xanathar's guide adds the oath of conquest and the oath of redemption which are polar opposites of each other but we'll talk about those in a second um the oath of devotion is the first one the tenets of devotion are honesty courage compassion honor and duty so the oath of devotion is kind of your um romantic knight like from romance tales and all the old stories this is kind of your knight these are the kinds of things that they uphold your devotion spells are stuff like healing, beacon of hope, sanctuary, protection from evil and good, uh, flame strike, commune, guardian of faith, freedom of movement, uh, just that kind of stuff. Um, and then we get their channel divinity. So every single channel divinity, I think except for Oath of Vengeance, and yes, Oath of Vengeance doesn't, and I think Oath of Conquest doesn't. Oh, and neither does uh, Oath of Redemption. So the uh, Oath of Devotion and Oath of Ancients both have the ability to turn enemies with their um, channel divinity. So Oath of Devotions is Turn the Unholy, which lets you turn undead or fiends. And then you get Sacred Weapon, which lets you channel your divinity to add your Charisma modifier to attack rolls. And also your weapon gives off light and deals magical damage so you can just kind of boost your power a little bit there um your aura starting at seventh level makes it so that you and your allies can't be charmed so at seventh level because you get the first aura effect at sixth is fear and charm don't work on you and your allies as long as you're conscious at 15th level you are always under the effect of protection from evil and good and at 20th level, you get Holy Nimbus, which is you transform for a minute and you give off light. Whenever a creature starts its turn within the bright light of your effect, it takes 10 radiant damage, which is a solid 10. And then you have advantage on saving throws against spells cast by fiends or undead. Um, I believe all of the Paladin Oaths have like a transformation like that at 20th level. I'm very confident that they do, actually because I'm looking at the books right now, and yes, they all have a transformation except for the Oath of Redemption, which kind of just has permanent effects. So Oath of the Ancients. Oath of the Ancients is a little bit different. It's like an old... So the Oath of Devotion kind of has a relationship with clerics. You know, clerics being holy creatures, holy beings and serving the gods, and then Oath of Devotion kind of being the paladin supplement to that. 
And the Oath of the Ancients is kind of the paladin supplement to druids. They protect nature. Um, their tenets are kindle the light, which is uh, through your acts of mercy, kindness, and forgiveness, you kindle the light of hope. Shelter the light, protect um, good and uh, good and beauty and love and laughter, protect it from wickedness. Preserve your own light. Delight in song and laughter and beauty and art. Um, if you allow the light to die in your own heart, you can't preserve it. And then be the light. Just be a glorious beacon to all who live in despair. Let your joy and courage shine forth. So this is kind of like a... It's very similar to Oath the Devotion, I think. It's just kind of a different focus on uh, where your power comes from. So their oath spells are stuff like ensnaring strike, speak with animals, moonbeam, plant growth, stone skin. Just very natural spells. They're almost a druid. <laughs> uh, their channel divinity, they have a turn called turn the faithless, and they can use that to turn fiends or fey, which the fey is kind of weird to me because I think about druid and druid's connection to the fey wild and to fey, and I'm like, why does the oath of the ancients paladin turn fey? That doesn't make a lot of sense, but... Then you think about it, and you're like, oh, there are definitely, like, evil fae that are emissaries of, like, rot and death, like hags. So <laughs> that must be kind of where that's coming from. Also, the Oath of the Ancients Channel Divinity turn lets you reveal the true forms of things that are concealed by illusions and shapeshifting. So that's kind of neat. Uh, their aura is pretty cool. It's called Aura of Warding. And it gives you and your allies resistance to damage from spells. It's pretty dope. <laughs> Especially when you get to 18th level and that's a 30-foot radius. It's like, hey, hey, allies, stay within 30 feet of me and you have resistance to magical damage, more or less. It's just from spells. It's not like weapons that count as magical. But still, very powerful. At 15th level, you get Undying Sentinel, which is a lot like... Um, or the half-orc's ability to not die. <laughs> um, once per long rest, if they're not killed outright, they can, and are reduced to zero hit points, they can drop to one instead. And also, they don't suffer the drawbacks of old age and can't be aged magically. So they still get old, but they stay spry, which makes me want to play a really, really old Paladin, Oath of the Ancient Paladin. Like, if I were to do a one-shot or something where we started at 15th level, I would be like, yeah, my Paladin is, like, 85 years old, and he's, like, this decrepit old man-looking guy, but he's just powerful as hell. And then they get Elder Champion at 20th level, and that is their transformation. They, like, turn green or have, like, bark skin or grow antlers or a mane or something like that. It's how it's described in the book. And it does a lot of things. So uh, for one minute, they regain hit 10 hit points at the beginning of each of their turns. Whenever they cast a paladin spell, that's a casting time of one action. They can use it as a bonus action instead. Enemy creatures within 10 feet of you has disadvantage on saving throws against your paladin spells and channel divinity. So this one just straight up powers you up and heals you. So it's, it's pretty good. And these are long rest abilities. All, I think all of their transformations are long rest abilities because they're pretty powerful next we have the oath of vengeance and this is the paladin that i really like because it's a paladin that their oath isn't maybe it's born of their own vengeance but then it becomes 
um, taking vengeance for others. So they're defending the weak. The tenets are fight the greater evil, no mercy for the wicked, by any means necessary, and restitu- restitution. Which the restitution is interesting. It's like, if my foes wreck ruin in the world, it is because I failed to stop them. I must help those harmed by their misdeeds. So basically, if your pal is just traveling around and you're like, you come upon a village that was ravaged by gnolls, you're like, we gotta get those gnolls. But first, we gotta help these people. Or, I guess order doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, They get spells like Bane, Hunter's Mark, Protection from Energy banishment hold monster so this is your i'm going to kill you hard paladin (laughs) um their channel divinity they have vow of enmity which lets you gain advantage on attack rolls against a creature for one minute or until it drops zero hit points and then you get vow or abjure enemy which this is a little more complicated lets you choose a creature with 60 feet it makes a saving throw and fiends and undead have disadvantage. On a failed save, it's frightened. And while it's frightened, its speed is zero. And it can't become more than zero. On a successful saving throw, its speed is halved for one minute or until it takes any damage. And also, the frightened and speed is for what, until they take any damage or a minute. So if you communicate with your party, and depending on how much metagaming your DM allows... You can be like, hey, I'm just going to freeze this enemy for a minute so we can focus on something else. Because as soon as you attack it, the fear ends. At uh, 7th level, they don't get an aura effect at 7th level like the other paladins do. Instead, they get an ability called Relentless Avenger, which if you, you use your attack of opportunity and land it, you can move up to half your speed and make an attack. Oh no, you don't get to make an attack. It's immediately after the attack. So... You can attack and then get out of range because this movement doesn't uh, provoke an attack of an attack of opportunity. Sorry, and but you can put yourself in a position to be ready to fight something else or to defend an ally with if you took the um, shielding fighting style that lets you block attacks. What is it called? Uh, protection. Um, what else do we get here? At 15th level, if you use Vow of Enmity on an enemy, you can use your reaction to attack it if it attacks... If it makes an attack. So you can you, know, you get more uses for your reaction with Soul of Vengeance if you use your Vow of Enmity. Then at 20th level, their transformation is called the Venging Angel. They get wings... That give them 60 foot flying speed. And they emit an aura of menace in a 30 foot radius. And the first time an enemy enters the aura or starts its turn there during battle, it must succeed a wisdom saving throw or become frightened. or For one minute or until it takes any damage. And attack rolls against it have advantage. So you can kind of just like smite things. Because you have an ability called smite and you're going to use it a lot if you're playing a paladin. <laughs> Uh, Smite is to Paladin as Elder's Blast is to Warlock. If you haven't picked up on that, you're just going to use it all the time. So moving on to Xanathar's Guide, we have the Oath of Conquest. And at a glance, this is like your lawful evil Paladin. And I spent a lot of time reading this week trying to figure out, like, 
how do I spin the Oath of Conquest Paladin to not be a bad guy? And it's kind of tough because their tenets are douse the flame of hope, rule with an iron fist, strength above all. So maybe you just have somebody that was going to be a vengeance paladin, but they decided that the best way to fight evil is to absolutely dominate it. <laughs> and but it's still like kind of sketch, like it's a little morally gray at best for the Oath of Conquest. You get spells like Armor of Agathis, Spiritual Weapon, Bestow Curse, Fear, Dominate Person, Cloud Kill. It's just like, yeah, you're just kind of a brutal monster of a paladin. And that's fine. <laughs> you can be that paladin if you want. So their channel divinity, they've got Conquering Presence, which lets you force each creature that you can see within 30 feet to make a wisdom saving throw or else be frightened. And then you can do Guided Strike to use your channel divinity to gain plus 10 bonus to an, to an attack roll. So that's pretty good. You can almost guarantee a hit with a plus 10 bonus to your attack roll. Uh, their aura at 7th level is if doesn't affect allies. So unlike every other paladin who has an aura ability that affects allies within 10 and then later 30 feet, theirs affects enemies. And what it does is the aura does not frighten creatures. But the aura affects creatures that are frightened. So like your conquering presence just bestows a frightened effect on an enemy. It doesn't do anything else. It's not like the frightened effect that um, the vengeance oath paladin has that reduces their speed to zero. It just makes them frightened. But their aura, if a creature is within the range of your aura and is frightened of you... Its speed is reduced to zero, and it takes psychic damage equal to half your paladin level if it starts your turn there. So you can stop an enemy and then just deal psychic damage to them if they're within 30 feet of you. At 15th level, an enemy who hits you with an attack takes psychic damage equal to your charisma modifier. And then at 20th level, they gain the ability to become an avatar of conquest with Invincible Conqueror. So for one minute, which if you look at the other ones, you know, um, Avenging Angel for Paladin of Vengeance is one hour. Um, Holy Nimbus is a minute. And Elder Champions is a minute. So really only the Avenging Angel is really long. I was misremembering the other ones. But so for one minute, you have resistance to all damage. You get to make an additional attack, so you get uh, so you now get three attacks instead of just two, and you score a critical hit on a nineteen or twenty. So for one minute, you just become a really badass fighter who's resistant to all damage, and crits much easier, and you can attack more. And a minute's a long time. A minute is ten rounds, so that's a long time to be really powerful. Basically, it gives you a once per long rest. Um, rage like a barbarian <laughs> um, and finally we have the Oath of Redemption now Oath of Redemption is one that's really interesting to me because it's basically you're a pacifist um, their tenets are peace, innocence, patience and wisdom and in the peace one it says violence is a weapon of last resort diplomacy and understanding are the paths of long lasting peace so this is a paladin that encourages you to talk to enemies rather than just 
immediately draw swords. Um, you can. It's using violence doesn't break your oath. Using violence as your primary means of dealing with stuff definitely breaks your oath. And you get some really powerful abilities. Like when I was reading through the Oath of Redemption, I was just like, holy shit, this is really powerful. Um, so your chant, your spells are stuff like Sanctuary, Calm Emotions, Counterspell, Stone Skin, Hold Monster. Just stuff to protect and dissuade combat. Your Channel Divinities, you have uh, Emissary of Peace, which lets you get plus five to your, to your persuasion checks for ten minutes. So this is an out-of-combat Channel Divinity. And then you have Rebuke the Violent. When an attacker deals damage with an attack against a creature other than you, you can force it to make a wisdom saving throw, and on a failed saving throw, it takes damage equal to the damage it just dealt. So this is the potential to be really, really powerful. And what's also interesting about that ability is it doesn't say an enemy has to land an attack on an ally. It just has to land an attack. So if you're playing a campaign where you find yourselves like fighting a group of bandits or something, and then a rival group of bandits shows up and starts attacking both you and the original group, or let's say you're in the Underdark and you're fighting um, like Mind Flayers and Druigar, and so it's a three-way battle. You know, the Druigar are definitely attacking the Mind Flayers, but they're also attacking you. The Mind Flayers are definitely attacking you, but they're also attacking the Druigar. If they hit each other, you can be like, mm -mm, violence is wrong, and just deal damage to them. <laughs> uh, at 7th level, you gain the your aura uh, sh shields your allies. Anytime an enemy or an ally that's within range of your aura takes damage, you can use your reaction to take that damage instead. So that's pretty cool. So if you're rolling high... If you have high uh, constitution and you're rolling high when you level up, then you can just soak a lot of damage for your team. You just become a damage sponge. And then you start healing yourself because you're a badass. Uh, the 20th level ability, this is the only paladin oath that doesn't have a transformation avatar thing. They have an avatar of peace that they become, but they have these abilities, these features, all the time. They have resistance to all damage dealt by other creatures. And whenever a creature hits you with an attack, it takes radiant damage equal to half the damage you take from the attack. Oh, I missed an ability completely. I'm sorry. Uh, at level 15, they get an ability called Protective Spirit, which if they have less than half health, if you have less than half health, then you regain 1d6 plus half your paladin level if you end your turn with fewer than half your hit points and aren't incapacitated. So as long as you're standing, if you're below half health, you start healing every turn. Um, so, I'm sorry, I missed that. I overlooked that ability and went straight to the level 21. So, really, the Oath of Redemption Paladin can kind of just stand there in the middle of the battle and just soak damage for the team and start healing themselves and use their turn to cast, to lay out hands on themselves or healing spells and just be there to soak damage and be a tank so that's the paladin the paladin is like i said earlier in this episode of the podcast is a very very powerful class paladin is arguably one of the best classes in the game you can do a lot of damage with paladin you can output so much damage um 
Smite is busted. <laughs> uh, the only things I think that resist radiant damage are Celestials, and most of the time, that's not who you're going to be fighting. So the prevalence of radiant damage in the Paladin's kit makes it always a powerful choice in your party. Paladins are great. They can soak damage. They can deal damage. They can heal. They can do a lot of stuff. Um, I like Paladin a lot. I think it's really dope. Because <laughs> it's 2008 and we still say things are dope. Um, but <laughs> Paladin's great. If... Your if your concern with having a paladin in the party is oh their oath is going to make them a pain in the neck to play alongside. Actually, take the time to read up on the oaths because the oaths aren't as restrictive as they used to be, and they're not as restrictive as I think a lot of players think they are. Um, they definitely give you the framework of how your character should act, but they don't lock you into being a pain in the neck all the time. <laughs> so that's the paladin um next week's episode will be on the ranger and we're nearing the end of the classes um that's all i got for today after classes we're gonna start just digging into more concepts and monsters and uh ideas for campaigns and world building and just a much more of a variety of stuff. I just wanted to get, you know, I did races before. I'm doing classes now. There are things that I wanted to talk about and get out of the way early. So more concept, more conceptual stuff coming after we get through the classes. Um, at least until I decide to do one of the campaign setting books. But that's all I got for tonight. Uh I'm recording this episode early because I'm going to be out of town for the weekend so I can have it upload on time while I'm gone. But next week is Ranger, like I said. And that's all I got. Keep on delving. We'll see you guys next week.